parking tanks in your own backyard. The remilitarization of the Rhineland and could Adolf Hitler have been stopped in 1936? As you'll remember from the podcast on Adolf Hitler's aims in foreign policy, one of his driving focuses was to make Germany a great power again, to put it back on an even footing with Britain and France and the other European powers, and also to undo the humiliations of the Treaty of Versailles. By early 1936, one of the large humiliations left hanging over Germany was the demilitarization of the Rhineland. Now the area of the Rhineland is the area of Germany which butts up against France. And if you'll recall at the Paris Peace Conference, Clemenceau was very clear that he wanted that area demilitarized. He wanted that area set up so that Germany could not put any of its troops there. This is purely a matter of security for France. This is purely to make France feel more comfortable and safe from German attack. So it was put in. In March 1936, on the morning of the 7th, the German soldiers and tanks of the Wehrmacht roll in to the Rhineland, remilitarizing it, and in doing so, breaking the Treaty of Versailles in a very large, very public fashion. Not only have they broken the Treaty of Versailles, they've also broken the Locarno Pact. Now this is important, because the Locarno Pact was not something that was forced on Germany. Remember, Germany regarded the Treaty of Versailles as a diktat, something they were forced into doing. The Locarno Treaties of 1926 were very different. They were an agreement reached by all of the European countries in which they said that they would stand by the borders established by the Treaty of Versailles. Germany had signed up to these. Germany had signed up to these of their own free will. But now, Hitler has broken those. Hitler immediately follows up this militarily aggressive action with his usual tactic. As you remember from the last podcast, if you've been listening to these in order, Hitler's usual tactic is to make an aggressive move, to threaten force, to bluster, and then follow up with promises of peace, to present himself as a statesman and as a reasonable human being. So the tanks and the troops roll into the Rhineland and Hitler immediately follows this up with both an announcement that he has no more territorial demands to make in Western Europe and also the idea of a 25-year non-aggression pact. Now remember, the non-aggression pact is a tactic that's already worked well for him in dealing with Poland and in allying fears in the East. And also, it costs him nothing to say that he has no further territorial demands to make in Western Europe, because he doesn't. If you'll recall, Hitler's attention was always fixed on the East. That is where the Lebensraum is. That is where he wants to build his greater German Reich. So it costs him absolutely nothing to say that he's not going to do anything else in the West, because he means it. He isn't. He has no further problems in the West, especially not now he's got the Saar coalfields back. So that's the situation. The question becomes very simply, why didn't anybody do anything? This is a blatant breaking of the Treaty of Versailles. It is a 
blatant breaking of the Locarno treaties. Germany is in the wrong. Germany is acting illegally. Britain and France and the League of Nations should act. What actually happens? Well, Britain and France do nothing. The League of Nations does actually condemn Germany's actions, but when it comes up to a vote in order to impose sanctions on Germany, only the USSR votes to impose those sanctions. So you've got to ask yourself, why was there no action? Why did nobody do anything? Well, to unpick that, you have to look at a couple of different areas. Let's start with Britain and France. Now, as we've already discussed when we've been talking about the League of Nations, Britain and France in this period are pretty much guilty of putting their own needs and their own requirements ahead of any form of collective security. And in this particular instance, they're distracted. Because at the same time that Hitler is roaming into the Rhineland, Mussolini is roaming into Abyssinia. So their eyes are fixed to the south on what's going on in Abyssinia. They're not really paying that much attention to what Hitler is doing. France will not act without support from Britain. The reasons are fairly simple. What's France going to do? Invade? Well, we've been through that before. They can't do it. They tried it with the Ruhr and it led nowhere particularly useful. And an invasion seems somewhat of a slight overreaction to what's basically just a movement of troops. And that leads towards the heart of why Britain doesn't do anything. Remember, the demilitarization of the Rhineland was something that Clemenceau wanted. It was not something that Lloyd George wanted. It was not something that Britain wanted. It is, indeed, one of the things that Britain regards as being unnecessarily harsh in the Treaty of Versailles. The Rhineland is part of Germany. It's not been taken away from Germany. It's not been removed from their control. It is part of Germany. It is part of their country in which they are simply not allowed to put their own troops and their own tanks and their own equipment. To Britain, that seems massively unfair. So as far as they are concerned, Hitler moving into this area is simply undoing one of the unpleasant and harsh parts of the Treaty of Versailles. So they really have no intention of kicking up a fuss about it. And if they don't, France can't. Because underlying all this is the idea that nobody wants another war. Everybody is trying to avoid anything that might escalate these situations into a shooting match. And on top of that, Hitler is promising peace. He's doing something that Britain does not regard as being a problem. He's doing something that France feels like it can't actually stop. And then he's also promising that he's not going to do anything else. And he's saying that he's perfectly willing to sit down and negotiate a 25-year non-aggression pact. That's enough to settle the fears of Britain completely. And with Britain's fears settled completely, France has its legs cut out from under it and can't do anything. At the end of March, Hitler holds a vote in Germany to ask if people support his policies. 99% of the population give him an agreement. Now, bearing in mind that it's a totalitarian regime and you've got to take any form of election under those situations with a slight pinch of salt, it is worth remembering 
that the remilitarization of the Rhineland is incredibly popular in Germany. It's massively popular. And in that case, again, France and Britain have no real grounds to do anything about it. So the situation is quite clear. Hitler has accomplished his aim of remilitarizing the Rhineland. Could he have been stopped? One of the key things to remember about the remilitarization of the Rhineland, this little moment in March 1936, is it is a moment in which it might have been possible to halt the slide towards the Second World War. How? It's quite simple. Hitler's bluffing. This is a gamble. The German generals have said to him that he should not do this because the French army is hugely superior to the German army in terms of manpower and in terms of equipment. And they are right. This is not fear on the German general's part. This is an accurate assessment of the situation. If the French did decide to take military action against Germany, Germany would be beaten badly. Not only that, the finance ministers also tell Hitler that to do this is a grand folly because any form of economic sanctions placed against Germany will cripple the slight improvement they're starting to get in their economy as they drag Germany out of the teeth of the Great Depression. This is a real gamble. This is something that could destroy Germany if Hitler gets it wrong. And he listens to what they say, and he thinks it through, and he gives the order to go ahead anyway. For two reasons. First, Hitler is a gambler. He always was, all the way through his career. He saw an opportunity, and he took for it, and he trusted that providence and luck would be on his side. Secondly, he has got a, a reading, he's got a feeling for whether the British and the French are going to do anything, and he quite rightly assumes that they will not. Why didn't they? Well, for the reasons we've already discussed, but one other thing. The actual remilitarization is done with a lot of noise. It's done very publicly. It's done with armoured cars. It's done with tanks. It's done with marching troops. It's done with cavalry. It's done as a huge show of force in order to make the German army appear very very strong. And that is one of the things that makes the French step back. They do not realise how weak the German army is. So Hitler could have been stopped. We know this for a fact because he actually gave orders to the German army to withdraw if they met the slightest hint of resistance from the French army. So had the French moved their army even up to the border, then the German army would have withdrawn and Hitler would have been personally humiliated. Why does this matter? Well, in order to figure out why this could have stopped the things that come after, you have to think about the consequences of the remilitarization of the Rhineland. And it is in the consequences of the remilitarization of the Rhineland that you start to understand why this one little moment on the 7th of March 1936 is so important. And it goes like this. Firstly, the successful remilitarization of the Rhineland increases Hitler's confidence immeasurably. Not only has he been correct, he was correct in the teeth of opposition from his generals. 
The general said this would never work. He said that it would, and it did. He now believes that he has the correct understanding of the other countries in the situation, the other countries in Europe. He believes that he has a correct understanding of how they're going to react. He also believes that the generals are weak and they're more likely to pussyfoot around things rather than actually get things done. That weakens the general's positions and means they are not in a position to say to him, we disagree, we don't think you should do this. It also makes him less likely to listen to their advice in the future. Next, it drives Hitler and Mussolini together. It helps cement the Rome-Berlin axis of 1936. Now, this has two little knock-on effects. Firstly, it finally splinters Mussolini away from Britain and France. So that idea of encircling uh, Germany with the Stresser front and stopping it from being able to expand, that's now gone. Because Hitler has shown his strength and is able to join Mussolini, who has split away from the rest of them after the adventure in Abyssinia. And the two of them together then throw their support behind General Franco's fascists in Spain during the Spanish Civil War. And the importance of the Spanish Civil War is that it gives Germany an opportunity to try out its army, to experiment with new techniques, new ways of fighting and new technology, and also again to look strong on the European stage that's all going to help with the things that Hitler's going to be doing later. There are a couple of other international consequences. It leads some movement towards rearmament in Britain and starts Britain on the long road towards preparing for 1939 and the outbreak of the Second World War. And finally, alongside the Abyssinian crisis, it contributes to the collapse of the League of Nations. Because once again, the League of Nations has been proved to be ineffective and useless. So, what are the key things that you need to take away about the Rhineland? Well, I think it relates very closely to what we talked about in the last podcast. Which is, you can see a very definite pattern of behaviour on the part of Hitler. That same drive to gamble, to take a risk to make a big aggressive show of force and then to be ready to back down if he gets called on it but if he doesn't get called on it to push forward with a show of strength and then follow up with these promises of peace and we also see that again that very important pattern of Britain refusing to do anything which stops France from taking any action by itself so in order to get yourself ready for your exam, you need to remember those key things and you really need to focus on why the opportunity was not taken to stop Hitler in 1936. There are a set of reasons why Britain acts like it does and a set of reasons why France acts like it does. You have to ask yourself, are those good reasons? you have to be able to judge whether those reasons are acceptable because Hitler could have been stopped but he wasn't. Also keep clear the consequences and how those consequences lead into what's happening next because of course Hitler has now been proven to be right and so he is now going to just keep moving forward to accomplish those aims that he has. Next stop Austria.
Thank you very much for listening. Good luck in your exams.